are you? This is Fire and Fury, Chapter 2. Um, actually, this is going to be Chapter 2, Part 1, because this is a long chapter. I'm with my co-host, Jen Talzy. Jen, how you doing? Hey, John. I'm doing great. Happy to be back. Fantastic. So, what, did you, what was your impressions on Chapter 2? Um, I want to make a quick note about the previous episode. As we discussed, we had referenced... I think I had said something about Samuel Alito last time. It should have been Antonin Scalia. So I just wanted to make that little note. All apologies to Samuel Alito <laughs> for killing you. Every time I hear Samuel Alito, I think of the dancing Alitos. Me too. That's the only thing I can see in my head. <laughs> and now everyone else will too. So. Okay. So now that we had the dancing Alitos back, um, what, were you, what, what were your impressions on chapter two? Well, I thought chapter two is, it's definitely more a meteor chapter. Definitely gets into some more, I think, um, what do you call it? Like the inner workings of things. And so, like you said, it was a longer chapter, but it's still some really interesting points. And I'll get right to my first um, selection. It is um, page 21 of the book. And this is... Um, and I don't know if you want to say, just set it up. Chapter two is entitled Trump Tower. So this is kind of, he's been elected. He's not in the White House yet, just so everyone kind of understands where the uh, where we're situated. So this is the time period that we all saw every day where the reporters and the cameras were in the lobby of Trump Tower. Yes. And he was doing constant photo ops with everyone and anyone oh that had, okay, so that's, that's where we are. That's where we are. Um, so, starting off on page 21, almost all the professionals who were now set to join him were coming face to face with the fact that it appeared he knew nothing. There was simply no subject, other than perhaps building construction, that he had substantially mastered. Everything with him was off the cuff. Whatever he knew, he seemed to have learned an hour before, and that was mostly half-baked. But each member of the new Trump team was convic convincing him or herself otherwise, because what did they know? The man had been elected president. He offered something, obviously. Indeed, while everybody in his rich guy social circle knew about his wide-ranging ignorance, Trump, the businessman, could not even read a balance sheet, and Trump, who had campaigned on his deal-making skills, was, with his inattention to details, a terrible negotiator. They yet found him somehow instinctive. That was the word. He was a force of personality. He could make you believe. Is Trump a good person, an intelligent person, a capable person, asked Sam Nunberg, Trump's longtime political aide. I don't even know, but I know he's a star. And I think that paragraph or that section so summed up why he was so able to convince people to vote for him. Because he uh -huh. just like they like he is entertaining he is a star you know he definitely is entertaining and I think he was able to keep people focused on the that star quality and not on the fact that this thing that we were all seeing that like he didn't know anything about government and he doesn't seem to care that he knows nothing in fact it almost seemed like that was a um, something he was proud of the ignorance like we talked about last time this kind of lack of education on a subject or on a you know being a a bonus well I um, j just so we can tell everyone listening we didn't discuss which chap which chapter or excerpt we were going to read 
but I was so sure that you were going to choose that one. <laughs> I was so like positive that I chose a another excerpt to go behind that to kind of explain in detail. I was so sure. As soon as I read that, I was like, Jen's choosing this one. <laughs> and my chapter, and I'm going to ha- going to talk about what you talked about, but I'm going to do it through the through the book and then comment on that. Mm-hmm. Was it's a, it's a couple chapters down, um, and is right after the chapter the pro wrestling fan it's however mm-hmm. difficult he was many of those now around him tried to justify his behavior tried to find an explanation for his success in it to understand it as an advantage not a limitation for steve bannon trump's unique political virtue was an alpha male maybe the last of the alpha males a 1950s man a rat pack type a character out of Mad Men, and to highlight what you were saying is that people in today's time think differently than people of the 50s. Yes. People of today's time in the 50s, which I love Mad Men, by the way, but it, but Mad Men highlights how how top down, if, if a guy was a executive in a company, he basically could say or do what he wanted around anybody he wants. If there's a secretary, he could pat her on the butt, you know, Mm -hmm. call her girl, all kind of crazy things without even by disassociating yourself to the feelings of that person. Right. The 50s were all about disassociating your feelings and the objective is the main, is the, the, um, completing the objective is only, the only thing that's important. How we get there is not important. Right. So I so now trying to this book begins to understand and delve into Trump's personality, and he has a, he has a nineteen fifties personality where he's actually disassociating himself like they do in Mad Men, mm-hmm. and they call him the, the alpha male, meaning I don't care. So right, it doesn't matter. He doesn't know anything. I don't care. You know, it doesn't matter. Exactly. He's successful. In you know his own eyes and in the eyes of certain people, and that, and he has money, and so that gives him that ability to do whatever he wants. And up until now, even up until today, there have been little to no consequences for his actions. Well, no consequences that we can see on the right. on the surface. I think that the country, as a whole, is rejecting that style and leadership qualities of the 1950s alpha male madman by what we saw yesterday in all the marches around the country. Right. They had more participants yesterday than they did the first time they did it a year ago, which is amazing because I thought... I know. I thought, yeah, I thought it was going to kind of maybe uh, kind of wane down or, or you know... Because you look, I you, you, you look at all the different movements that happen. You know the the one percent or the, what is it? What was what was that movement? Oh, the Wall Street. Um, the ninety nine percent. Yes, that movement. Um, yeah. And even Black Lives Matter movement or all these different things kind of faded off. But this is has gained momentum. Yeah. And I went to the one last year in D.C. And I hate I missed it this year, but. It's something to be part of, but I was shocked too that like LA had like six hundred thousand people. Like that's 
insane. That sells so many people. I know. And the, um, nationwide, it was in the millions. Yeah. And these are, and what, what people pointed out were these are cold cities. D- these aren't cities that are warm like Los Angeles or, I mean, I mean, right. like, this is Chicago, Chicago. New York, Washington, D.C., all these cold cities. And you have this movement that is, that is being highlighted through these small elections that are happening throughout the country. But mm-hmm. I think that he'll see the consequence in November. I think so, too. I think so, too. And I think um, what people keep pointing out, like what I'm reading, is that we want to be careful that, like, Trump might have been a, um, what's the word? Like, he might have been the thing that kind of got this stuff going, but it can't just be about Trump. It can't just be we're against Trump. Because then you are going to lose momentum, and it's not going to mean anything after he's out of office. But if we want to really keep pushing this, you know, more progressive agenda that helps people and that's focused on what we believe to be important, things and it can't be just we're marching against Trump we're marching for these things we're fighting for these things and I feel like that's how the women's march movement has been able to keep that momentum is that they keep focusing on these issues and I think it's going to be really interesting in November to see how it all pans out in the midterms I I, I have to kind of slightly disagree with you on that because I think there are two levels that we're working with here. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to go into my second paragraph, so a second excerpt, and then you can go into your second to kind of highlight why I'm going to say what I'm going to say. Okay. This is, I, 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 I don't know what page this is, but I'll just read it. This is after the, the, the white trash portrait, what, what, he, what Trump said. Gotcha. And, um, this is the second page after that. Trump liked to say that, one of the things that made life worth living was getting your friend's wives into bed. <laughs> in pursuing a friend's wife, he would try to persuade the wife that her husband was perhaps not what she thought. Then he'd have his secretary ask the friend into his office. Once the friend arrived, Trump would engage in what was for him more or less constant sexual banter. Do you like having sex with your wife? How often? You must have a better Blank, blank, then your wife, tell me about it. Then he said, I have girls coming in from Los Angeles at 3 o'clock. We could go upstairs and have a great time, I promise. And all the while, Trump would have his friend's wife on the speakerphone listening in. That is just like, that is low. And so when I read that to say, well, why would you read that, John? Because I think that America, I think you can run against Trump because there are two levels. Yes, we need to start trying to get our progressive realities into law, but to be honest with you, most of America is going to vote just to get back to where we were before Trump, just to get back to being normal again, having Mm -hmm. normal conversations, having normal debates. Right. No, you're right. I don't disagree with that at all. I think it's, um, my point was for the, to keep the momentum after he's gone, I think. We're so- there has to be more depth to it. But yeah, I'm with you. There's like, it's, I th- think it's both and because he himself is not the kind of person who should be in office. He's just. Exactly. Exactly. Just to get back to, just to get, we're so off kilter that, you know, 
I mean, believe me, I'm trying to find a way that I could communicate with Nancy Pelosi that the moment we get the majorities in, let's have an agenda that is getting our voting rights established, yes, getting the redistricting back the way it should be. I mean, things that have decades-level consequence versus the short-term of, um, I don't know, whatever, whatever we're trying to get through. Right. I totally agree. So, Nancy Pelosi, if you're listening, <laughs> let's work on making sure that every American has a right to vote and is not hindered by my long lines and shorter hours yes. and not being allowed to vote on Sunday as they try to take away or trying to show your um, papers that you are a citizen and your driver's license versus, you know, all of these different things they have. Right. I totally agree. So, yeah, so this paragraph really goes into the depth of how, how dark how dark this guy is, you know. And He's just depraved. And I think I had um, pulled that one out, too, and had a little further up where they're kind of comparing him to Clinton and how they both, you know, were, are known for womanizing and even harassing women. But, like, they said Clinton had a respectable front, at least, and Trump does not. And I think it's that kind of stuff where it's like, it's, it goes beyond just womanizing and harassing women and having affairs. It's this other level of depravity of needing to make other people small, to embarrass people, to trap people, to trick people. Like that's just this other level of, it's just like meanness and ugliness that I just don't, I don't understand how someone's capable of that. It's almost like, he's almost like a um, soap opera villain. I remember my mom used to watch those soap operas and there was always like that one guy who was just so like evil incarnate. And I feel like Trump is that same. It's almost like a caricature of that where it's, and it's unfathomable that like he's the president. I tell you what though, reading this paragraph at first, I was so like shocked by reading it that I didn't, yeah. really, I didn't really kind of evaluate it. And one thing that came to mind to me, what is my wife doing on the phone with you anyway? <laughs> Yeah, I why? mean, there's just so many layers of wrong. Yeah, why is she on a speakerphone? Why are you, there is no one, there is no one I do business with that you should be calling or this should be, this is a separate, why is she on the phone anyway? So this, well, it speaks to her. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean that like Trump calls you up and it's like, what would, I'm going to put you on speakerphone so you can listen to what I'm saying to your husband. I mean, like, I'll prove to you that he's not who you think he is just so he could, like, have a relationship with her. And then I just, it's so, yeah. Not only that, but the ego that it takes to say, I got your wife on the phone. You don't even know it. That, 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 that willingness to just fulfill your ego by, mm. by having, by being adored by, by someone else's relationship, by, by, by someone else that, that has a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, just, it reminds me a lot, and I, and I kind of hesitated to, to use this, but it kind of reminds me a lot of the, of the Roman Empire and the, and the, what was that? Nero. I think it reminds me a lot of Nero. Yeah, Nero. Yes. Nero would 
Nero was famous for trying or having parties over noblemen's houses or senators' houses and then wanting to go to bed with their wives. Right. And that was his whole modus operandi. <laughs> and I see a lot of Trump and Nero in that it's just all about feeding your lust for attention and that attention mm -hmm. isn't it can't be fulfilled it's like no matter how much attention you get you always have to have more always have to have more right when it's like there's the sexual conquest aspect to it but then in the he's also like humiliating the husband precisely it's, so it's not just like i'm having an affair with your wife it's like i wouldn't even call it an affair i just like it was, I mean, it reads like it's more just about the actual conquest of it. And to, but then to also like this extra layer of humiliation. And in the meantime, he's also humiliating his own wife. It's just the lack of character and humanity in him is just astounding. So what's your um, next uh, excerpt? Well, I kind of followed on that one. Um, Go ahead. Previous presidents, and not just Clinton, have of course lacked scruples. What was to many of people who knew Trump well much more confounding was that he had managed to win this election and arrive at this ultimate accomplishment, wholly lacking what in some obvious sense must be the main requirement of the job, what neuroscientists would call executive function. He had somehow won the race for president, but his brain seemed incapable of performing what would be essential tasks in his new job. He had no ability to plan and organize and pay attention and switch focus. He had never been able to tailor his behavior to what the goals at hand reasonably, reasonably required. On the most basic level, he simply could not link cause and effect. And I think we see that near daily. This like, um, when they talk about executive function, that's you know how the brain organizes information. And I know this because I had a child who struggled with executive function and we were able to get some extra help and that's vastly improved, but I've seen this in children, you know? But to see it in an adult who's been running a company and who has been, you know, in all these places and is now like wanting to be president, this inability to organize information in your brain and to focus on one subject. And then to, I mean, it's just, again, it just speaks so much to his lack of competence for this job, a job that requires someone to be able to quickly switch from one topic to another and to be able to take in vast amounts of information and digest it and understand it and to, to make decisions based off that. I think that historians are going to study this time period as the, I think that the Trump administration ushered in a new social media era, whereas he was, he had the ability to say the right things that people would love, that people didn't realize the consequences of, of his entire personality. People just clumped, people just glommed onto the sound bites. Right. And, and that, that like, know, oh, yeah. he, he speaks his mind. No, he speaks whatever's in his brain. That's a, that's different. Can I address that real <laughs> quick? Can I address that real yes, quick? That has please. always been a, a very serious pet peeve of mine. It, yeah. it all started when this baseball player 
had said all these racist comments about black people and transgender people and gay people. I forgot his name. It was about 20 years ago. And I was working with a lot of people of a different persuasion. And they said, he's just speaking his mind. Well, that doesn't mean it's correct. I mean, his mind right. is wicked. I mean, you, you, because you're speaking your mind, does that mean that you're, it's okay? I mean, because, I don't, I know. <laughs> because you're It a, makes no sense to me. None. I mean, absolutely no sense. Because, because the, is the mind of a Caucasian male, it automatically means it's pure, and he can speak it because he comes from a sense of honor and, and, and some kind of, I want to say fortitude or, or virtue or something that, that, that he's born with. No. no. What he said was wicked, and it was racist. And so whenever someone says he's just speaking his mind, yeah, and his mind is wicked and evil. But yes. I mean, shouldn't it take more, like, to me, what is more admirable as someone who has self-control and the wisdom to not speak everything that pops into their head? That, to me, is someone I can get behind. Because I, I, I know people who lack that filter, who just say whatever pops into their brains. And it's not good. It's not healthy. That is not a, a good, healthy way to maintain relationships to run companies, and it's certainly not the way to govern. It's childish, it's immature, and I'm with you. It's like, he just says whatever pops into his head, and some of those things are like horrific things, horrible things, racist things. I don't understand this, like patting him on the back because he says these things out loud. And no one knows why the GOP is complicit with allowing that someone who just says whatever he wants to do all the time, they're just okay with it. But when the elections come, and there's this gigantic blue wave, not only in congressional, but in state houses and, and in state, state-run parties, then they're going to say, well, then they're going to not back their candidate. You know, mm-hmm. once they lose the majority, say, in the Senate or in the House, and they see the results, then they're going to say, this is wrong. So the last yeah. two years of this Trump presidency, if he's still there after the investigation, is going to be one just Trump trying to remain relevant in a world that's trying to move on that was created because of the new social media environment that we're in. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be something to see these Republicans who have either been quiet or who have vocally supported him once he doesn't have that power anymore. And, like, we're not going to forget. We're not going to forget that you were complicit and that you put up with it and you let these things that are happening happen because he had that power and you wanted to keep the power you had at the expense of the country, our reputation, our standing in the world. It's just, it's like, we're going to remember. You know, I just saw something as you were reading something else that this book kind of alluded to that I didn't know. Um, And I, and I kind of want to, ask you about it to see how you feel mm-hmm. the next chapter right after what you read was I'm, and I'm going to read it the charge that Trump colluded with Russians to win the election which he scoffed at was in the estimation of some of his friends a perfect example of his inability to connect the dots even if he hadn't personally conspired 
with the Russians to fix the election, his efforts to curry favor with, of all people, Vladimir Putin had no doubt left the trail of alarming words and deeds likely to have enormous political cost. Shortly after the election, his friend Ailes told him, with some urgency, you've got to get right on Russia. Even exiled from Fox News, Ailes still maintained a fabled intelligence network. He warned Trump of potentially damaging material coming his way. You need to take this seriously, Donald. Jarrett had this said a happy Trump is all worked out. And so, in other words, Trump is saying that to Jarrett has this under control and it'll all work out. So he thought that Jared Kushner was going to be able to do all kind of person. But the point I want to ask you about is, is the book kind of alluding that Vladimir Putin, Putin, Vladimir Putin. Vladimir. Yes, is the book alluding that he is leaving little breadcrumbs for everybody else to find so that everyone can know that Russia interfered, causing a political a political bomb within our election system? Um, I don't know if this part is saying that or more saying that Donald Trump was leaving a trail accidentally, but I also think that that's highly likely because what you're saying, and I think because, I mean, I don't think, like, Putin, like, he's not going to have any consequences. I mean, so we put some sanctions against Russia. He doesn't care. It's not really going to affect them. So I think to have upended the political process would have been definitely something that he would have been proud for people to know. I think he had done kind of a like stick in the eye to Obama and the Obama administration. He hated Obama. One reason why I keep asking, why I ask that is that a lot of my um, conservative friends keep asking me, what does Putin get out of doing all these things you're accusing him of doing? Well, he gets to have that um, that knowledge that he kind of got one over on the Americans. I mean, they, I think, especially I think for younger people who were born after the Cold War ended, it's easy to not appreciate the feelings between America and Russia. I think it's easy to forget how tense things were for decades and how close we came at different times to actual nuclear war with each other. And that the place we're at now is still this very much adversarial place. It's not as much, you know, heightened as it was like in the 70s and 80s and 90s and early, you know, well, I guess late 91, 92 when it ended, but it's still not pretty. And, you know, Vladimir Putin was KGB before, you know, the Soviet Union became Russia again. So he still has that in him. And you can take, you know, you can, like they say, you can take the guy out of the KGB, but it's much harder to take the KGB out of the man. Uh And he still has that in him. And you can just see the fact that he's not willing to let go. Because remember, he stepped down from president. And um, what was that guy that was the president? Oh, I'm not going to remember his name, but, and I would butcher it even if I tried, but, you know, and then all of a sudden he was like, no, I need to be president again. And he's basically a dictator, but he hates the United States. He's still, I think, bitter over everything that happened 
during the Cold War. And I think this is just a way in this day and age, you're not going to go to actual physical war with each other. But this is a way for him to launch this like seemingly low level attack on our country and our democracy. That's that's my two cents on it. Well, I think that, yeah, you're you're, um, 100 percent right. And it it wouldn't surprise me that that this is this book will be studied as far as once everything comes out people people will go back and go okay mm-hmm. this was corroborated here this was corroborated there we're going to hear about when he's out of office we're going to probably hear from one of the wives that was on the phone say yeah he did yeah. that um i was on speakerphone and he tried to so and so so and so because it's going to be the thing about wanting publicity is that you create a monster that you won't be able to control it's like a fire and yeah. and people will want to talk about this story that say that was me and they'll want publicity too but their publicity would be on your back versus you getting publicity off their back right so if i were to kind of summarize the first part of this chapter is that this chapter highlighted a leg down lower than even i thought that he was that was recorded mm-hmm. and the illumination of him saying that the highlight of what's really living is sleeping with other people's wives, reminding me of Nero in, in the time of the Roman Empire of 60 AD, mm-hmm. is striking. So that was my summary of the first, first part. What was yours? Yeah, I think I agree with what you said. I think that's a good summary of the first part. And just kind of building on that same idea of him not knowing anything about really anything of consequence when it comes to governing. And his utter lack of care about that. And also just to your point, his utter lack of human decency when it comes to care for other people. It's just, it's a, it's a pretty rough mix to be so callous about the, the lives and feelings of other people and to derive joy from humiliating people. And then also to just be, you know, so ignorant about just government and to be the president of the United States. It's just, it's, it insults me on a personal level. So Vanity Fair is, rep- is reporting that Ivanka Trump is leading the research to replace John Kelly. Oh, interesting. Oh, I thought they liked him. Well, um, that that comment. See, another they thing. They up until last week. Another thing that people that that the Bible says, and whether you believe in the Bible or not, it, it just has like wisdom for everyday life. And what it says mm-hmm. is that whatever is in your heart will come out of your mouth. Yep. And it's been reported over many different networks that John Kelly is actually running the White House and he mm-hmm. is putting Trump in his place and he's the one making the decisions. So when John Kelly spoke about Trump the other day on the news saying that, you know, all those things that he said, that's how he really feels. And eventually it's going to come out. Eventually yeah. how you feel will come out if you're in front of the camera long enough. And if you're feeling these things, in the public, I can only imagine what's happening in private and it's prob- probably making them very uneasy that someone is putting Trump in his place as they should, Right. but it's making them uneasy. And so I totally can see that it's happening. 
Yeah. And, like, I have other feelings about John Kelly as a person. Oh, but, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Ugh. But in this role, he's – I do appreciate that he's the kind of person that's not going to back down. He's not going to be manhandled by Trump's people. They're not going to be able to get him to toe the line. And I do appreciate that about him. Tiny thing I appreciate about him. So another thing being reported by Politico is that, and I, I think Politico is pretty even because they, they used to get on my nerves when Obama was in office. Um, mm-hmm. They said alleged payment to porn star was illegal donation to Trump campaign, Watchdog says. Wow. So we didn't even talk about, see, this is, this is what, and we'll close the podcast on this. And we'll put chopping up another one out tomorrow. This is what is so uh, so much crap is that you have so much. Okay, I have another analogy. I used to work as an electrician many years ago, years and years ago. And one of the jobs I was working was at the water treatment facility in DC. Mm-hmm. The water treatment facility in D.C. is really, really good. As a matter of fact, a lot of countries would visit to see how they were able to take the water in, filter it, and get it back out. And they used the fertilizer so when you know, all of the waste, <laughs> number two waste, would come through the system, they would pack it, put it in trucks, and shipped out for fertilizer throughout the Virginia and Maryland and Ohio and so forth. Well, when that stuff came in, it would come in through a system where you had to get it out to the trucks. It just doesn't jump into the truck by itself. So right. it came down a conveyor belt, and it would go into this big old kind of really big, deep kind of thing. And a guy will operate a hang a crane that would dump it into the trucks, and trucks would take it out. Well, I, w- I had the job of rewiring all of the conveyor belt motors in that room. Oh, boy. <laughs> I know. And when I first got there, first of all, you can't take any of your clothes home because it smells like, smells like, smells like. Human dip. waste. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, I mean, you can't even take your, everything you wear, you got to, like, leave it there because you can't take it anywhere in your car, you smell like human waste. But after working there for, like, three or four months, you got so used to it, you didn't even smell it anymore. Right. And. It got to the point where, I mean, it was like all over the wall. It was just everywhere. It got, it was so much fertilizer <laughs> that your mind, your brain turned into just mud. Your brain just turned it because it was just so much of it. You didn't even like. Right. And I think that that whole system is like the Trump administration is that he has so much fertilizer coming out. Is that things that we normally would would smell, we don't smell anymore because there's so much yes. of it. I know. And we didn't even talk about this porn star. That right? Even, it's, it's, I mean, you didn't even touch on it because there's so much other fertilizer in this bucket that we didn't even think about that until just now. So, <laughs> anyway. Interesting that observation. Is such, that's a perfect analogy. <laughs> so, yeah, this porn star that he's paid $130,000 to is starting to come out. And mm-hmm. he had, I had theories on that. Yeah, um, I'd like to hear them, but let's save, let's save it for the next podcast. We'll save it for the next one. Okay, so we're going to close out on this. Any last thoughts? Yes. No, I think, yet again, we have gotten to see the inner workings of the Trump situation. 
And it is very much like a room full of human excrement. Fertilizer. Fertilizer. <laughs> the fertilizer presidency. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's a really political correct way of saying it. <laughs> yes. You heard right. it here first. <laughs> heard it here first. Okay, so uh, again tomorrow, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great. Thanks, John. All right, bye.